Would you like to swing on a star, carry moonbeams home in a jar, and be better off than you are? Or would you rather host a pod? A pod is a hobby where you can drink beer. It's a terrible career. You watch bad movies with your friends and tell the listener how many drinks you recommend. And if you really rather odd, you may grow up to host a pod. Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome, listener. I hope you like show tunes that are pushing 80 years old, because like the cold breeze that blows from a river, we are blowing into your ear holes with the latest Hops and Bruno Flops. This is the series where we examine some of Bruce Willis's less die hard, more die swiftly and screaming movies. I am Captain Cash Knight, hosting duties for tonight's pod. With me are the Thunderous Wizard. When I was in Rome, coincidentally, that was also the first place I bare hand choked a person to death. So that's, nice. uh, you know, I can identify with this movie on a very cerebral level. How was the Diamond Sing Sing, by the way? Not great. Well, you know what they say, when in Rome. And the only person on the pod who could actually be described as a musician, Chumpzilla. Oof, that is a stretch, but I will take it. And uh, was there music in this movie, or was it just kind of like atonal mumbling from Bruce Willis? Come on, was there music mm. in the singing cat burglar movie? Yeah, I mean, but I, I do have a question. Who harmonizes worse, Captain Cash or Bruno? Oh, 100% Bruno. Which yeah. is not to say that I harmonize mm. well. I will tell you this, Aiello was just magic. Oh, uh, he is? Aiello actually saves this film, in my opinion, but we'll get into it. Uh, but before we go into all of it, first, we are brought to you by Wobam Entertainment, your place for the latest in nerd news. Check us out over at wobamentertainment.com. That's W-O-B-A-M Entertainment. You can find the pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hops and Flops. Leave us a comment on what movie you'd like to hear us talk about next. Thunderous Wizard, where can you be found? I can be found on Twitter at WriterTLK. Lovely. Chumzilla. And you can find me on Twitter at Chumpzilla8. And as always, I can be found at C-A-P-T-Z-A-S-H on most of your social media. The beer for this evening uh, is an old friend to the pod. We are revisiting New Belgium with their Voodoo Ranger Atomic Pumpkin. This is a special fall release beer brewed with pumpkin, cinnamon, and most crucially, habanero chilies. It's a little less higher octane than I usually like at 6.4 ABV, but it really does something I absolutely love, which is to add actual spice to a drink. Um, There's not really any thematic tie-in for this week's beer, other than to say, I know both this beer and the movie may not be everybody's cup of tea, but I still like them. So cheers, gentlemen. So how many movies is this beer? Chumzilla. Uh, wow. 
okay. So this definitely hits all those pumpkin pie notes that I'm used to in a pumpkin beer. Um, I get the cinnamon. I get a little bit of brown sugar, mm-hmm. just a, a, a hint of sweetness, but I get that heat. I definitely get that habanero heat. It's on the back um, taste. You, it's yeah. like you, you feel it about two seconds after you take a drink. So it's a, it's a mouthful in terms of a flavor profile. There's a lot going on here. Let me take another sip. It's complex. I really enjoy, like it's, it's spicy, not like pumpkin spicy, but honest to God, someone dropped some yeah. chili oil in this thing. Spicy. Yeah. It's warm. It's warm. Um, I know. It, it, it's, it's, it's smooth, except that heat is a little bit, uh, it is a little abrasive on the throat. I'm not going to lie because it's, it's, a, it's a strong presence. It's not a hint of heat. There is heat on this beer. Um, you know, I'll give it a movie and a half. It's just a little too intense for me. There's just a little too much going on there to really just enjoy like more than a couple of these. So one and a half bad movies for the Atomic Pumpkin from New Belgium. Fair enough. I mean, I will say that it is certainly a specific taste. And if you could put it in a specific place, you're watching a movie projected on like a sheet around a bonfire. I will sit there and watch three bad movies under those circumstances. Ordinarily, though, I this is two and a half for me. I like this beer. It's kind yeah. of funky and it's complex. And I just I really like when things have heat where I don't normally find them. So for me, I'm gonna give this three three bad movies this beer. Love it. Fair enough. All right. So let's talk the movie. Hudson Hawk was released Memorial Day weekend in 1991 and was directed by Michael Lerman of Heather's fame. Uh, it is a star vehicle and a passion project for Bruce Willis, who developed the story with longstanding friend collaborator Robert Kraft. Uh, the co-lead of the film is Danny Aiello, also a longtime Willis friend, as Tommy Fivetone. Uh, Annie McDowell plays a love interest and secret nun, Anna. Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhard give memorable turns as the evil billionaires, Darwin and Minerva Mayflower. James goddamn Coburn shows up as George Kaplan, the CIA handler of a group of candy-themed thugs. Listeners at home, candy-themed thugs. Say it three times fast. Not super easy. Uh, This movie pulled in a meager $17 domestic against a budget of $97,000,000,000. Uh, though it would go on to make an additional 80 overseas, and it did find a cult following on home video, actually becoming profitable four years later in 1995. The film was savaged by critics at the time and sits at 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, It won the Golden Raspberry for Worst Picture, Worst Director, and Worst Screenplay, and was nominated for Worst Actor in Bruce Willis, Worst Supporting Actor, Richard E. Grant, and we're supporting actress Sandra Bernhard, and I really don't feel like any of those are deserved. Yeah, I think hers definitely is. Uh, I, you could probably do it for Richard E. Grant as well. Bruce Willis was playing out of type, and I think that's why he got punished. And of course, the movie became like a, a punchline, even though I really like it. Uh, my other thing is, I can't believe you didn't mention that two of the candy themed thugs are David Caruso, yes. The guy yes. from CSI Miami. Yes, that's true. Zero <laughs> NYPD Blue. Yeah, that too. But hey, and look at David Crusoe's career. And Ooh. and Andrew Bronarski, who plays Latimer in the program, amongst many other things, but he's always a big dumb goofball. And uh 
You mean Butterfinger, who played Butterfinger. Zangief? Yeah, he played in the Street Fighter movie and and Leatherface in the reboot, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Caruso not having one line is like so out of character for David Caruso and how he like thinks about himself as an actor. It's pretty tremendous. Oh. I don't know that I agree that Bruce Willis was playing against type. In fact, if anything, I think this is probably closest to what Bruce Willis really is. That might be true, but I'd like to cut in here to say, is there anything more 90s than Sandra Bernhardt being like a supporting player in a movie? Just being as awful as possible? Just like, just, hey, you're a thing. You're on Roseanne. Be in our movie. Yeah, Yeah. so she she was on Roseanne, but... Is there anything else I remember her from? She wait, wait, don't like, tell me. Uh, I mean, she. Wait. Are yeah, you, she. She regularly guest guest appears on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR. Are, are you thinking of Paula Poundstone? Oh shit! I might be thinking of Paula Poundstone. <laughs> <laughs> not the same person. Uh, not, well, not, obviously, not but close. yeah, not not even close. No, but uh, yeah, she was a stand-up comedian, and I think that's how she got into Roseanne Barr's sphere of influence as a stand-up comedian on the west coast and yeah she there's a brief moment where she was a thing in the 90s kind of like dennis leary you know sort of there's just that weird obnoxious abrasive comic shtick that worked at the period and hey she got work i'm not knocking it but i'm just saying it's very much a 90s like dating thing hey sandra bernhardt's in this movie remember Uh, she was a thing once dennis leary has never not been a thing he's been like in the cultural landscape forever yeah. since he's, demolition man and before like he was just on a long-running television show well exactly he was on you know save me or whatever he's done a lot better than some of those other guys from that period like colin quinn didn't do a whole lot bill suggest- mars sort of been a perpetual asshole in hbo uh dennis miller yeah say, that's the dark it. side that, that's the that's the one it's a it's another dennis it's dennis miller sometime between like 96 and 2002 same thing with sandra bernhardt from yeah. like 89 to 94. Anyway, that that was such a time capsule moment for like, oh, her. Yeah, I remember her. That was a thing. That was a thing. You were were a thing. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. One sentence description. IMDB calls this a cat burglar is forced to steal Da Vinci works of art for a world domination plot, which I mean, actually, yeah, that that pretty much covers it. Um, So what are your one sentence descriptions? Let's kick it over to the Thunderous Wizard. Scat burglar. Oh, shit, that's good. <laughs> oh, man. That's pretty good. I mean, my only my only issue is I, it also kind of conjures like he steals poop. Well, yeah. Uh, he yeah, might do that, too. Which would, which, I mean, which would make him a turd burglar. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> All right, Chumzilla, what's your one sentence? Just imagine if Bruce Willis had starred in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but they ran out of money, so they didn't add any of the tunes yeah, I mean, this is very much a oh, live-action cartoon. And it's rated R. <laughs> it's like if Bugs Bunny can say fuck, but he it's, can't actually fuck. Yeah, it's and like he's cool not a bunny. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, you know, uh, a guy from New Jersey. Was it Cool World? In that's the, not far off. Yeah, R, yeah. R-rated uh, That was the cartoon. R-rated. Yeah. That was not good. Friend Roger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my oh. one sentence for this gag is, Bruce Willis presents Grown Ups. This was Bruce Willis is like, hey, let's get all of my friends together and we're going to go vacation in Italy and we're going to get some dumbass studio to pay for it. Yeah. 
See, uh, he just needs to get on that production company racket, though. See, that's where he's missing the key element there. That's where Sandler has perfected that art because not only does he get his buddies and the vacation, but they're all getting paid an absolute buttload of money to do it on the front end, on the back end. What a racket. So, that's the best. I've said this before on the pod, and if it's been cut, it might have been cut, but that is probably my favorite part of the North Korea Sony hack is the internal back and forth about like, hey, you know Adam Sandler is fleecing us, right? Like he's just cranking out this garbage and we just keep cutting him a huge checks to his production company and he's just pocketing that money and then like filming these movies like wherever he wants to. He just went to Hawaii to film some stupid movie with uh, uh, Kate Hudson or, or, or Gwyneth Paltrow or uh, I don't know, uh, Drew Barrymore, one of those people. And they're like, it was terrible, but we paid for the whole thing. I, I, we're getting screwed here. Who signed this contract? That's like, amazing. That's like, it's, it's beautiful. It's like, except at least, you know, somebody in Hollywood's like got their head on straight. It's not the higher ups, but somebody in accounting is like, whoa, this is a total scam. My question is, if, if Adam Sandler's production company is Happy Madison, is Bruce Willis's company, is it Addison McLean? Or is it... Oh. It's McLean, McLean and McLean. It's McLean, McLean, McLean and McLean. <laughs> the house that McLean built. Fair enough. Yeah. That's like a law firm. It's like Willis McLean and Kutcher. <laughs> nice. All right. On to the plot summary. Uh, the film opens on a shot of a storybook, which is helpful because the movie you're about to watch is more a fairy tale slash cartoon than an actual coherent film. Uh, we get an extended prologue set in renaissance italy at the workshop of none other than leonardo da vinci we get introduced to a chekhov's armory of plot devices that will go off in the first second and third acts before we learn that da vinci has accidentally created a machine that turns lead into gold he has achieved alchemy's dream way to go him uh he breaks the focusing stone of the machine the thing that basically makes the machine work into three pieces, realizing the destructive power such a machine would have. I don't know why Leonardo knows about complex economics sometime in the late 1400s, but that's fine. I have created a device that could create unlimited wealth. I must destroy it. It's a noble take, completely unbelievable. <laughs> I yeah, listen. yeah, for a guy who struggled with money most of his career, like you figure... This I can make like, like yeah, as this many is Mona Lisa's as I want at this point. I can this make an good, actual man. helicopter with these kind of uh, resources. This is the longest prologue to set up a plot that does not matter. I, I <laughs> will say it like it's useful in that literally everything that we pause on, even for a moment, with the exception of the weird Mona Lisa gag, where the Mona Lisa is basically complete minus a mouth when the model smiles, her teeth are all screwed up so that's why mona lisa has the closed mouth smile but like everything else is something that comes into play later in the film but it's so weird to have like a hey this is a weird renaissance thing but don't worry none of this is set in that time this is all set at then present day yes this movie could have taken a note from santa's sleigh this should have all been done in an animated sequence that could have that, that would have been that would have made more sense. It would have fit with the storybook motif that they introduced the scene with. But instead, we get this weird live action intro 
that looks like nothing else we see in the rest of the movie except for the, some of the visual <laughs> cues. And it, it just seems like a really weird way to start the movie. It's like the exact opposite of the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like that opening scene is different from the rest of the movie in some regards. And it sets up things that come back later. But it's amazing and pulls you into the movie. This is just like, what? I, this is a Bruce Willis movie. Where is Bruce Willis? And why am I in uh, Renaissance Italy? What the hell is going on here? That, I, yes, it, that's it, exactly yeah. right. That's it, the difference. It, the, it's just like none of this lost. makes any sense. Yeah. You know, like I don't get it. Um, so I had I had, uh, just to be clear here, I was aware of this movie. I knew that it was slapstick. I knew that it was Bruce Willis and I knew that it sucked. So it does not my, suck, but that's a whole expect- some of those things are true. Some of those things are true. So my expectations were not high. Uh, my expectations went through the floor in this opening scene. I'm like, what the hell am I watching? But let's keep going. If, if I could compare that to a more recent movie, think G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, where inexplicably <laughs> they start in 16th century Scotland. And it's like, well, I thought this was a G.I. Joe movie. Good thing I didn't watch that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I I also have not seen any of the G.I. Joe movies, but yeah, it's... it's I a am now cursed with knowledge. Yeah. It is it, a weird it, place to start. Let's move All past right. it. So we then cut to present day 1991 where eddie hawkins the world's greatest cat burglar better known as hudson hawk or the hudson hawk is being released after doing a dime in sing sing and is he really the world's greatest cat burglar if he got caught hey i didn't see ann hathaway in there that's all that's all i'm saying that's a good point uh so despite wanting to go straight eddie is immediately pressured into returning to a life of crime by his parole officer, which I have to admit is pretty entertaining. Like it, it, that helps to set up the, this is the kind of movie you're about to watch in my opinion. As he's getting propositioned into committing more crimes on his walk out of prison. Yes. I mean, it's great. And he gets picked up by his hetero life mate, Tommy five tone. This is a Danny Aiello. And honestly, it's the charisma between the two of them, between Bruce Willis and Danny Aiello that for me carries the movie. Particularly, Aiello seems to be having the time of his goddamn life in this thing. Can somebody tell me the difference between him and Hank Azaria? Is there, other than uh, age, about, is there a big about difference? 10 years and a, a lot less bodybuilding. And okay. uh, yeah, a lot less voice work. Danny Aiello is like a great actor, do the right thing. Yeah. Moonstruck, Nicholas Cage, what up? He's Woo. a great actor. I love Danny Aiello. And Wait, he's is that the share movie? Yes. No, it, he's he's good. It, it just I don't know. I it just seemed a little too tongue in cheek. Like I, the, I think it might uh, not to get too critical here, but I think you're right. They do have good chemistry together, but I just could not nail down the tone of this movie. But anyway, I mean, it kind of helps if you think of this movie as like the gentleman thief movie, but if it were the Naked Gun, like what if what if it was the Naked yeah. Gun, but instead of following the cops, we followed cat burglars instead. It's it's like if you did like the Thomas Crown Affair remake, you know. Uh, yeah. But but instead of having like Pierce Bronson in there, you just got you got like Daffy Duck. Yeah. You know. No. You know I what, mean, the, uh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. You know what film cribs heavily from this in all the worst ways, and we did it on this pod. Pluto Nash. Really. Yeah. I mean, just the feel of it. Like this guy comes out. He's got to get back into this uh, life. He's, uh, yeah. Okay, I can uh, see that. 
Yeah, yeah kind of, kind of. Uh, in any case, they go back to their bar in Hoboken, which was once just this hole in a wall. Now it's an upscale bistro thanks to gentrification. Uh, Fair enough. Where we get a few beats of the running gag that Hawk can never get a a drink of cappuccino no matter how hard he tries. Uh, As they drive there, Tommy hits the brakes and it spills the coffee. Once they're at the bar, he tries to drink it, but it's literally shot out of his hands by a silenced pistol in the middle of the bar by one of the, and this was deliberate, Mario Brothers. Yep. And that is the second time in the movie that I'm like, wait a minute. There was just gunfire indoors and no one seems to be concerned. Okay. What kind of movie I'm watching again here? What is going on? Uh, my big thing on this is not only is that Mario brother played by Frank Stallone. <laughs> it's that we get the words instead of saying, kiss my ass. Bruce Willis is like, so instead I'll say slurp my butt. Which is definitely worse, right? It's definitely worse. Well, unless you're into that kind of thing. Unless you're into that kind of thing. And we definitely get a very tongue-in-cheek, wink-at-the-camera uh, joke about, oh, those are instructions so simple even your brother could follow them. And although yeah. it's it's referring to Frank Stallone's on-screen brother, the other Mario brother, but we get the Sly Stallone joke, too. Yeah. Way to go, Bruce. Way to go. Which, I mean, to be fair, in another, what, three years, him, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sly are all going to open up a restaurant together. So I'm sure they were already pals. Yeah, I'm sure that was a that was a, a good-natured ribbing. Their wives was involved with that? Was it... Um, wasn't... Brigitte Nielsen? No, well, I mean, was it um, Demi Moore, who was the other big I one would... for Planet Hollywood? That would make sense. I would think it was her. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I would seriously think it's Maria Shriver. So yeah, well, definitely they weren't Maria Shriver, but were they? They weren't married back then, were they? Uh, Matt, and, I don't know. He and Demi mid nineties or something. I yeah, but no, but no, I mean Shriver. I don't, I don't, together. Yeah, they were married. Arnold never married. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough then. Anyway, Keeps some butthead. So wow, the the Mario brothers then pressure Hudson Hawk into taking this same gig uh, threatening him that he absolutely has to do it. Uh, And ultimately Hudson and Tommy decide they have to take the job. So they sneak into the auction house uh, using a method later cribbed by speed where they rewind the tapes so that the security guards see what happened previously, which buys them enough time to sneak in, crack the safe and steal what we learn is a horse. Also oceans 11, right? They ripped that off too. You know, honestly, I don't, it's been a hot minute since I watched Ocean's Eleven, but I'll this believe is, it. Yeah, this is a way better heist movie. Wait, better yeah. ensemble. Than Ocean's Eleven? Yeah. Wait, was, <laughs> I which, like this which, movie, which one has Don Cheadle? Because I vote for the one Don Cheadle. That was the good one. Always vote Don Cheadle if you have the option to vote Don Cheadle. I'm just saying, Danny Ocean ain't got shit on the Hudson Hawk. I mean, to be fair, given how both of them lived. Hudson Hawk is definitely going to pull off crazier and more impressive heists because Danny Ocean is confined by things like physics and yeah. common sense. You know what Danny Ocean can't do? Fly a medieval helicopter. You know That's what else exactly he can't right. do? Get a nun to sleep with him. Uh, I, I mean, come on. It's a, mm-hmm. that's that's like late 90s. That's 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 peak. Yeah. I'll give you the balsa wood and uh, parchment paper 
hang glider, but I believe they I call think... that an ornithopter. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not going to question the, uh, 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 George Clooney's uh, uh, seduction skills. I, George I'm Clooney give, in the late give him 90s a pass there. Yeah. Literally everyone, including the Pope and Dalai Lama. He, he did not seduce Arnold or Bane or Poison Ivy, though. I, Ooh, I don't believe that's true. <laughs> I mean, it might not be on the celluloid. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, but. I will say at this point, we are introduced to sort of the the running gimmick of the movie, which I really like, which is we've been shown that both Tommy Fivetone and Hudson Hawk will mention songs to one another where they can quote the exact time of the song down to the second. And we realize this is how they time their hikes. That's how they stay in such good communication with one another. So in this, they mention swinging on a star which I opened the pod with in my tone-deaf attempt at parody. Uh, or, you know, just Bruce Willis singing, however you want to do it. Yeah, tomato, tomato. Tomato, tomato. Potato, potato. What's called the whole thing? You know they fucking sang that song when they stole something, right? Akuna Matata? No, you know, the one thing about that gag that really didn't work for me is that it never really was used in an extremely cinematic fashion. Like you get a lot of like, uh, they sing a duet like, while they steal shit. And later they sing a duet when they blow up a fucking castle. What do yeah, you mean? It's not cinematic, but, but it's, but it's, it's really bland. It's just, it's just call and, and, and respond back and forth. It's not like it's ever like it's, we've only got so many seconds to get this done. And there's, and there's like, tension built by them trying to finish the song because that's all the time they have left it's just kind of playful goofy back and forth you're like, so misinterpreting what this movie is exactly it's a yeah. heist movie i was i was waiting for the stakes to get a little more this isn't the score intense. okay this isn't heat okay uh, yes heat okay and, i just want this to be heat heat with show tunes you underselling the majesty of danny aiello's moments where it cuts back to him is really upsetting could be your worst take ever. Aiello okay. is having a fucking great time. It is really enjoyable to watch. And so is Bruce Willis. That, I'll that's give him true. that. It felt really good to watch a movie where he gave a shit. <laughs> I know, right? Like it, he, He's clearly having a great time doing yeah. this. And that counts for like, because when Bruno wants to be, he's charming as shit. Fuck, he's, go back, watch he's Die He's very hard. funny in this. There's that scene where he's like, getting kicked by james by well not by james coburn but by <laughs> james coburn's stunt double like, Ooh, my hat <laughs> but in any case they they do manage to steal the horse statue made by da vinci um but they're ultimately discovered by the guards and have to escape by jumping off the roof roof and just jump cutting to the next scene how did they survive doesn't matter we're on to the next scene which again i think is helpful for realizing Physics don't apply here. We're just having a good time. So Hudson lands in an armchair. Like literally, he jumps off the roof and it smash cuts to him landing in an armchair where he hands over the statue to the corrupt parole officer who gives it to an English butler named Alfred. Uh, and by the way, this was, again, remember, two years after Michael Keaton's Batman. Hey, English butler named Alfred, here you go. Uh, and Alfred smashes the horse statue over the parole officer's head and retrieves one of the three pieces of the focusing stone. 
Fun fact, the recliner that Willis lands in, that is also the recliner from Howard the Duck. That actually explains so much. You, you really brought this together for me on a way I didn't expect. I'm just, just saying. How, do you, how did you know that? I felt like I researched this, but not like that I didn't. Uh, I, it's, that's just my head cannon. Moving okay. on. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I, want, I want that to be true, too. I it want would explain a lot, though. It would. It, it would. It would, yes. Um, the, the butler also reveals one of the cooler weapons in the film, which is a retractable switchblade machete that basically hides in his sleeve. No, hold on. I mean, you're underselling it. It's it's basically like some sort of butterfly knife contraption. Yeah. But it's not like a butterfly knife that would fit in the palm of your hand. He's got like retractable garden shears, single-bladed yeah, it, garden it's shears. It's the length just, of his forearm that just come out of out. hammer space. Yep, totally yeah. stolen by Fox for uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Deadpool. And definitely oh. stolen, apparently, by the MCU, the knife guy on the bus in Shang-Chi. Oh, like, forget hey, that. I oh, know where you got on. this from. Hella. No, no Hella. more Mr. Knife Guy. Hella. Hella. Everybody's That's stealing Hella. from this movie. It's a revolutionary flick. I, I do love that before the guy with the hidden blades in his arms kills the parole officer, there's lots of, where's my cut? And, and similar related puns where it's like, here's your cut. I'm like, oh, brother, you're telegraphing this pretty hard. Yeah, there's a couple of moments like that. There's one I really love, though, and that's with the dog. Oh, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> that, that, that might be one of the top lines in the film, and I don't, I don't want to spoil it this early. So after learning via newspaper that the, their heist literally the night before was a failure, I don't. I, listen, it doesn't matter how quickly newspapers can be printed, but they um, pretty read. quickly, to be fair, pretty quickly, pretty quickly, yeah, uh, up to hours before they actually come out in some instances. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But Hudson Hawk and Tommy Five Tone read that the heist last night where that they succeeded in was reported a failure and that the security guards actually stopped them and that the auction of this horse is going to go forward. So curious. Hudson Hawk attends the auction. Uh, there he has a meet cute with Anna, an art appraiser sent by the Vatican, who appraises the statue as genuine, not fake, as we the audience know it to be. Uh, and into the scene bursts the villainous duo of Darwin and Minerva Mayflower, who are equal parts bombastic and off-putting. Like, really off-putting. Like, it's gross. Like, it's deliberate. Yeah, but it's very, very over the top gross. Yeah, where yeah. you're like, it's supposed to be gross, and I'm, and I am grossed out as the audience. Yeah. So explain this to me, Captain Cash. What exactly motivated uh, Hudson to go to the auction? Was it just out of morbid curiosity to see Pure what curiosity. was actually going on? Yeah, he wants to know what's going on because he knows he stole the horse. So what are they so, auctioning? So so clearly he is not the world's greatest cat burglar because he's just like, I'm going to return to the scene of the crime for shits and giggles. Not because I'm a pathological criminal and I can't stop myself. No, I'm just curious. So I'm just going to be there just in case that come on, something that's, that's bad the trope might of the happen. Gentleman thief. He's going back, like something's up. Something, somebody's screwing the, I stole the thing. They're saying I didn't steal the thing. Let's see what's going on. Did he Adventure. not get his money? Did, could he not fuck off and go not get arrested somewhere? I just well, I mean, like a really does he choice. get arrested in this scene at all? Because very easily could have had uh, Angelina Margulies not tripped that guy. Yeah. 
had anyone applied any sense of logic, yeah, but that's not this kind of movie, man. No, NTKM. fair enough. Okay. NTKM indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So again, just, like <laughs> you're approaching this from like realism. And there's a joke in this scene where he tackles someone and saves her life. And she says, you didn't have to do that. You ripped my dress. And he's like, oh, sorry. She's like, just kidding. So like, <laughs> Literally. Well, you know, Mini Driver is, is well known for comedic timing. So I was not surprised by that scene. Uh, it is not Mini Driver. It, but at the same time. Angelina Margulies, whatever. Yeah. Andy McDowell is a 90s treasure, and you need to show her some goddamn respect. <laughs> so she's she was great in Goodwill Hunting. Can we just drop it? Wait, which one was that? That was Mini Driver. Mini Driver. Oh, there it is. Was that Jane and Tarzan? I can't remember. Uh, Wait, what? Yeah, which, the, which, which, which Tarzan? Brandon the one with uh, what's his face? Brent- the high yeah, animated Frazier? Tarzan. Oh, animated Tarzan. Animated Tarzan. That was Jennifer Connelly. What What was the one with the the pale white woman with the black curly hair? That one. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're thinking about the lady from Curb. That that was in Cop Out. She came back to her house and had the huge gun. Are you sure I'm not thinking of uh, the lead singer of Aerosmith's daughter? Oh well. Or is that just Joe Perry? <laughs> the the guitarist. All right. Anyway. Schreiber. Wait, Liev Schreiber? Sabretooth? Hold on. All right. Pulling it back. Just as the hawk notices that there are a conspicuous number of people at this auction eating specific kinds of candy bars, the auctioneer's gavel explodes, leading to complete pandemonium. Hold on. Point number three that Chumpzilla goes, what kind of movie am I watching? That's a sight gag. The candy. It's a sight gag. I get it. This is supposed to be a thing. What is going on? It, it, if you hung on for another 10 minutes, the movie tells you. It does, but it's not satisfying. The, it's still it's, weird. The biggest yeah. swing and a miss. I love the candy bar theme, people. Is that Barnyarski's character is named Butterfinger and not like Dum Dum or something? Isn't there candy like that? Because literally yeah, the I mean, whole so, Dum Dum yeah. is not a candy bar. He's though. a moron. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, if there would have worked, he could have had suckers. It would have worked. Yeah, or CIA yeah. operatives. Uh, yeah, again, that's just such a strange gag to me. It's it's so like I don't even know what you call that. Like Mad Magazine. Like it's just like a a weird sight gag slash. It, absurdist it, look it, it's, it's it's product placement in a weird that's, that's way fair. that's that fair no, that's a good point. the whole place explodes hudson mm-hmm. hawk saves anna but then is immediately knocked the fuck out by the tristar logo it's like a, a swinging pegasus that's made of stone comes in and smacks him in the head and we smash cut to uh the the ambulance where hudson hawk wakes up and sees the mario brothers are in the ambulance with him don't worry how they managed to abduct an ambulance. Just know that Hudson Hawk is now in trouble. He manages to fight them off, and we get the gurney chase across the Brooklyn Bridge, which is some really good physical comedy. I'm sorry, but it is. I said, I'm not, actually, I'm not great. sorry. I'm, I'm looking at Chumzilla's face right now, and he's doing this like confused, sort of angry look. But like literally, there's a point at which Someone throws a cigarette out the window. Bruce Willis catches it, smokes it, and goes, ah, menthol, and throws it away. It's fucking hilarious. It's not bad. I'll just say this. 
there are parts of this movie that do work very well. There are elements of the humor in this movie that are very funny, mostly in a vacuum, though. But none of that works together. And, and maybe it's just my sensibilities. And I totally take this as a personal preference thing. Don't get me wrong. I just had a hard time getting this movie to work. It just didn't, like, none of it actually, like, like synced up and jived for me. You're right. This gurney scene is pretty funny. It's well shot. That the humor get, is what joke. How's my driving dial one eight hundred? I'm gonna fucking die. It, it, it there, there's there's some you know you know R-rated humor in it. It's it's funny. It, it's something that I would argue you could work into like a Deadpool movie, for example. Yeah, that's fair. It, there are elements of that like slightly absurdist, slightly fourth wall breaking humor that that shine through in this movie, and this is one of the scenes where it's the strongest you partner it with everything else. And I'm just like, what is going on? It's just too much camp and too much R rated humor and too much slapstick to, to, to work together. None of those elements really takes over and drives it. It just bounces. I will, them. I will accept that it is strange to have this very Looney Tunes humor paired with what is very much R rated language. If we don't have to mention it again. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And I'll just add, not only is it slapstick, absurdist humor, R-rated language, on top of what's a semi-serious, like, crime, like, no, 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 no. None plot. of it is semi-serious at all. It's a the, the plot is comedy. The plot is people are in jail. They're spinning a dime and sing-sing. Oh, my gosh. Know, they're, they're, they're killing me. <laughs> Did you think did did any of these thoughts come to your mind when we watched Top Secret? Because this is just a shade less goofy than Top Secret. That's what this movie is. Barely. It yeah. might be in like the only difference is they didn't have a little German. Yeah. Uh, no, because because that's the problem. Top Secret doesn't try to be anything else but ridiculous. This movie, t- to me, it feels like it's trying to do other things. I, I, let's not get hung up here. Let's not get All hung right. up here. I, I'm just saying, Top Secret worked better as a straightforward comedy. This, to me, didn't feel like a comedy movie all the time. So, as Bruce Willis gets off the the uh, the bridge, the ambulance that had the Mario Brothers in it crashes and immediately explodes before it hits anything, to which Bruce Willis responds... You guys okay? Just to just to again remind you, this is supposed to be silly as shit. Where he then yeah, encounters pe- people dying midair. It's just like yeah, that's like, that's a gag. All right. The the ambulance literally explodes mid. It makes no sense whatsoever. No, 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 no. Not based on physics, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I get yeah. the point though. At this point, I'm starting to understand what kind of movie I'm watching, so I'm yeah. not shocked. Yep. We but then Hudson out, Hawk yeah. meets the CIA operative that set him up to go to jail those 10 years ago, George Kaplan. Uh, Kaplan leads a team of spies all named for candy bars, Butterfinger, Kid Cat, Snickers, and Almond Joy. They knock him out again and literally ship him in a crate with packing peanuts to Italy. <laughs> and like at this point, he's been knocked out twice in, in the span of what in-universe cannot be more than about a couple hours. And I'm just like, maybe that's why he does the singing thing. He just can't understand time because of the early onset CTE or something. It's not yeah, good. He gets knocked out a lot. 
I like film. a lot, like a lot, a lot. Hey, hey, I don't, I don't want to do this scene anymore. Maybe he just gets knocked out. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I will freely admit the scene where he gets knocked out by the CIA agents and he tips backwards into the crate. That was pretty good physical comedy Fair. that I enjoyed that gag that played out. Well, he awakens in Rome uh, and he is immediately taken to the Mayflower's boardroom by Alfred. That's again, the knife wielding evil English Butler. And on the limo ride over, Darwin, again, played by Richard E. Grant, gleefully says, what can I say? I'm the villain, which should also be another fucking hint about what you're watching. He's a literal cartoon. And like a cartoon villain, he spells out his whole plan for, quote unquote, world domination by recreating yep. Da Vinci's gold making machine in order to crash the gold market. Never mind, the gold market is not actually how currency worked in 91, but whatever. I mean, is this not just the spiritual sequel to If Looks Could Kill? Certainly, the villains had very similar ideas. Yeah. I, I will say I was frustrated by the Minerva, the Sandra Bernhardt character, off key belts out. I've got the power and then gives out some really dubious science regarding gold and lead. Like, lead is, lead is one proton away from gold, and it's not. It's three. And uh, they have a really different density. So they, you can't just hand two bars of lead and gold to someone and go, they weigh the same. They fucking don't. Also, gold is really conductive of heat where lead isn't. Uh, gold is a heat sink and lead isn't. So lead would feel warmer than gold. And it's like... I. What the hell is going on? Okay, Bill Nye. Here's what I'm going to say. Forget <laughs> about all that science mumbo jumbo. The real takeaway from this scene is it is so frigging 90s that she's sitting on a table singing, I've got the power. <laughs> so I, 90s. I'm sorry. <laughs> I personally, like, oh my. I personally think the real takeaway is their evil dog, Bunny, that bites Bruce Willis's dick for the better part of that scene. And he ends it with a blowjob joke. Like, he's like, ah, two more minutes. I was so close. I'm like, are you joking about getting a blowjob from a dog? True story. They were going to reuse that joke in Ang Lee's Hulk after his encounter with the mutant dogs, but mm -hmm. they just didn't think it would fit. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you try to work that as best you can. Once again, the 90s were a lawless ass time. <laughs> Bestiality jokes and all. 90, 90 mm -hmm. it started with 91. I'm not saying it started with Hudson Hawk. But it was contributory. They, everybody we were there. And went, we can do that? Oh, we can do that. All right. And I will admit, again, I enjoyed the, uh, the villain's uh, disclosure of his plan. It was very much a parody of like a James Bond villain. Yes. Like, I'm like, so. I, I get this joke. This is good. This is working. It's working. And then the, I got the power stuff happens. And they're like, okay, now you lost me again. Well, basically, their whole plan is they charge hawk with recovering the other pieces of the focusing stone so that's been the plan the whole time he needs to steal the other pieces the next of these pieces is in da vinci's notebook pause and insert the my enormous penis song da vinci's notebook I yeah. take a look at my enormous penis oh i have to ask the uh cop-out question now let's do the math is there any reason that Mr. Mayflower does not have the resources just to acquire said pieces of stuff. 
I get the sense like, that he gets off on doing weird shit, so probably hiring yeah. a cat burglar. Like, okay, okay, fair, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Like Even if it's yeah. more expensive, I, I just feel like just I bought it. I feel like he could just like exhaust some of his resources to acquire what he needed, even if he paid over market price or paid an exorbitant sum, because it would ultimately allow him to execute his plan. I, I was kind of confused. And so you need some schlub from New Jersey to do your dirty work. You're asking the okay. questions. Well, I mean, but it was owned by the Vatican, so it seems unlikely that simply paying them money would solve the problem. Okay, I'm not going to rule out that they couldn't be bought off, but that's a fair point because they are men of a higher purpose so perhaps they could not be swayed with material goods fair enough uh, for the record though the vatican does sell cigarettes and wine now so they're not exactly flush with cash but here's the big question because we already know that danny ocean is a little bitch terrible cat burglar and needs a team of people to help him do cat burglar shit and bruce willis only needs one other guy or himself because he's that freaking good better at stealing uh, historical artifacts, Nicholas Cage and National Treasure, or Hudson Hawk. Can I can I also throw in Indiana Jones because I feel like Indiana Jones is the greatest thief of all. He's it belongs in a museum. He's an archaeologist, not a grave robber. Thank you very yeah, much. But I mean, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, he is elevated above this discussion. No, it definitely goes to Nick Cage. Yeah, I think so too. As you know, Nick Cage has got some super weird shit in his like Odin's trophy trophy cave thing. He I, had super weird shit like just in general. So I can only imagine that a fictional character he's betraying would have like weirder shit that weirder like shit. times fifteen. Yeah, I honestly this now now I want like an Avengers style team up of Hudson Hawk. Uh, whatever Nick Cage's character was from National Treasure, and I, I think I need one more. And Danny Ocean doesn't. Danny cut. Ocean, no. What about the Saint? The Saint cut. was stealing some stuff. Maybe the Saint. Yeah, the Breakinables. I think it needs to be sillier. <laughs> it, it needs Ace to be Ventura. Like, it needs to be like Hook. Yeah, Ace Ventura. It needs to be like Hook levels of crazy. Ace Ventura would do it. Oh no, that's it. That's it. It's. It's Nick Cage's character from National Treasure. It's Hudson Hawk, and they're pursued by Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. How do we get Hermit or Homolka in, in this group? And he's the guy that hires them to steal the things. That would also work. <laughs> this, is, this is the greatest 90s heist movie ever assembled. He has to send them to the only place that capitalism can't catch him. Space! <laughs> All right. So, let's... Returning back to the movie, uh, we learn that there's more going on with Anna than appears. She's not just some sort of art appraiser, uh, but works for the Vatican. In literally, she she communicates with her superior via light up walkie talkie crucifix. Again, Cruci- it's, crucifixion com. Yeah, it's it's silly as hell, and but also very sort of top secret, very top secret, very top secret. And also, up to this point, before the nun reveal, she's basically Diana Prince. She could be anybody. Yeah, I mean... She's basically Wonder Woman at this point. Could be anybody. Shows up, talks about the Gordian knot, looks looks attractive. Has dark hair. Steals somebody's Dark curly hair. Kind of palish. She she knows things about antiquities. Oh my god, this whole time was Wonder Woman a nun? I think uh, so. Well, I mean, yeah. 
I mean, isn't Thymoscura just a giant convent with combat training? I I guess if the nuns fucked each other? I mean, <laughs> that, that makes that it tracks. a giant convent. So done yeah. and done. Yeah, you're right. A lot of equestrian games, yeah. <laughs> mm. All right. Unbeknownst to Eddie, Tommy is already in Rome and working for the Mayflowers. We get several twists and turns where the Vatican spies, Anna and her handler, think they are helping the CIA to fool the Mayflower's plot. But in actuality, the CIA wants the Mayflower's plot to succeed. And Anna is revealed to be a nun. And Tommy reveals his presence to Hudson after the hawk is brought before the Mayflower's yet again to steal the final piece in a model helicopter in the Louvre. There's a scuffle, but there's a ruse where the duo managed to fake shooting Tommy, but it's really ketchup. And they assume that the Mayflowers will no longer need the Hawk because they have the plan B option, which is let the candy bar team take care of it. So they head back to Anna's apartment. Does that make sense to you guys? There's a lot like there's a lot of twists that happen late mid second act that don't make a lot of sense. The, the plot really takes a turn for the worse. There's yeah. like three yeah. too many twists here. Yes. I, I would say you had a hard exactly time. Right. Yeah. It's confusing, like especially if you've never seen it. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know who's working for who. Like, even when uh, Frank Stallone shows back up, you're like, "Wait, why is he back? Like, why were they even part of it? Like, how many channels did this thing have to go through?" Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 it's at one point, it's not even clear that the the New Jersey gangsters know what they actually have. They're stealing a thing to steal a thing. It was the Butler guy that actually knew what was in it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, yeah. Regardless, I mean that's like the first twist, and then by the third twist, I was kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah, yada whatever. yada yada. I, I'm assuming Bruce Willis is going to be the good guy, so I'm just going to follow him. Yeah, moving on. Yada yada yada. Bruce Willis is the good guy. His buddy is still Danny Aiello. And yes, maybe that was clear he's got to me a thing for he, Anna. He'd helped him escape. I he sold him out, and then he helped him escape. I did follow that part, and the nun had now double-crossed her handlers and now was on bruce willis's team yeah that the yeah good enough Let's so, just so say, team yeah. hawk we got team hawk we're team we're hawk. going with team hawk okay but team hawk awakens the next morning to find the candy bars in the apartment and they're immobilized with curare darts and inform that the the candy bar team actually managed the louvre heist that hudson hawk bailed on so is this now like the second or third movie where we've had the QRE darts. Jesus. Uh, hang on. Let me ghost let me, in, let ghost me check here on my notes. Didn't that come up in the ghost in the darkness? Thunderous Wizard. We need recall if that did no, but it came up in uh our Nicolas Cage movie Primal. Oh, oh there Primal, it was. that's it. That was yeah. Primal. Sorry. I know it involved a large cat. <laughs> yeah, yep. It was the cat, one of the cat movies, Primal. Yeah. Okay. Moving Fine. on. The trade-off in using the candy bars to steal from the Louvre is they faked a terrorist attack and killed a bunch of people. Again, highlighting how these are actually the bad guys, despite the fact that Hudson Hawk is a professional thief. Effectively, they're the Suicide Squad. Except less funny and awesome and just terrible. Just and less weasel genitals. They're the, a uh, lot less weasel genitals. They're, they're the every chewis- movie could use slightly more weasel genitals. They're the Suicide yeah. Squad. <laughs> I think you mean the Charleston Suicide Squad. You son of a bitch. That was my joke. I wanted to half a beat, half a beat quicker. Shit. It's amazing. 
Uh, yeah, so the Charleston Chewicide Squad uh, has a run-in when the Curari darts actually are become less effective quicker than anticipated. So they abduct Anna, three of them, and leave behind Snickers and Almond Joy. And I just want to point out that the effects of the uh, poison darts uh, led to some of the best physical acting in the movie. Yeah, that the was physical just, comedy mm. here. Of like Chef's them, them immobilized and they're like wiggling the fingers like ooh maybe I got a thing here it's pretty great it, n- no it's not it's, that was horrible it's excruciating goofy and fun it's not supposed to be oh. serious man you're such a downer oh my. <laughs> this movie's I, I, great I, they I shoot the I, guy in the head with the bomb and he's like it's stuck. <laughs> oh no yeah so okay that well, about that, this no no blowing the guy up was funny. Bruce Willis flopping around like bacon on the ground, yelling at, at Hank Azaria. It was not funny. So their plan to murder the cat burglars who they no longer need is to shoot like suction cup time bombs around the apartment. Uh, yeah, I, well, hold on. I think those are like the proximity mines from Goldeneye. Honestly, they're the, uh, I'm trying to remember. They're like the suction cup bombs, maybe from Fortnite. Dark uh, stickers. Dark yeah. Knight, he shoots them in the to the Chinese office building again, stealing from this because if you're gonna oh. take action beats from a movie, it should probably be Hudson Hawk. So, in any case, Aiello manages to poison Almond Joy with one of her own curari darts, blowing it back into her throat, and they shoot Snickers with the the suction pop, the suction cup clinger bomb, and it sticks literally to his forehead, and they say, oh. Snickers is about to have a really bad headache and jump out of the apartment as it explodes. Cut to the next scene where they have to save Anna from the castle. It's the Mm -hmm. showdown at Castle Da Vinci. The duo attempt to rescue Anna timed to side by side, which it's great. They're like singing and dancing as they're shooting these suction cup bombs and it cuts between the two of them singing the song. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, we get the Mayflowers double, triple, quintuple, subtuple cross. I don't know. Everybody's kind of out for themselves, killing everybody else. But yeah. they, they basically, they kill the rest of the candy bar team and and leave Kaplan to himself. Uh, Bruce Willis and, and Kaplan go fisticuffs. But ultimately what happens is Tommy gets locked into a car with Kaplan on the hood which then gets shoved off a cliff and explodes, seemingly killing both. Mm-hmm. Anna and Hudson are brought back into the room with the gold-making machine where they where the Mayflowers demand that they assemble the focusing stone and Hudson palms one of the pieces. When the Mayflowers turn the machine on, it m- malfunctions. It covers Minerva in molten lead, which when I was a kid, that was scary as shit and freaked me out. It's It's like creepy. It's creepy. And again, it Game was, of Thrones stole that from this. Because if, oh, you're, if you're going to murder cake. somebody in a really horrific way. Yeah, throw a lot of molten molten, molten metal on them. Yeah. That'll do it. It was a little dark. It was a little dark, her death scene. Are we going to talk about how Hudson palms a piece of the focusing stone? Only if we're going to talk about how they cut the focusing stone out of a book that is maybe a, an inch thick but the focusing stone is clearly six inches tall. Yeah, it's like a but Rubik's it, cube. Like, there's zero chance of space thing. in the back of that book. It's 
it's the wishing rock from Wonder Woman 84. Each piece is um, way less of a dick. Yeah. No, and they were way, all spiny dick pieces. Follow me here. But, way less stupid. <laughs> ooh, I don't yeah. know. So, so hold it's on. About there's on par. Th- there's three pieces, correct? That's the three. To three. So, how does Bruce Willis palm a portion of it? You don't ask a magician to reveal his secrets, dipshit. He's the Hudson Hawk. Because it's not like the, the, the stone thing that they put up there in the machine is not like two thirds of it. It's the whole thing. But he kept a much smaller piece than we see at any other point in the movie in his hand. And I love the little. So what if I suppose that uh, maybe I didn't put it all up there? I didn't put it together. right. Maybe I kept a little bit for myself. Eh? And it's like, how? How did you break it off? Is it brittle? Like I'm, I don't Man, understand. It is this. 500 years old. So. Yeah, it's a good point. At least, it's, oh, it's it's more than 500 years old, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, it's a rock, so it's as how. I mean, time time's star. relative. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know. But you know, we're all made of stars. But the point being, like, I just that whole thing again. I'm like, oh Jesus, what kind of movie am I watching? It doesn't <sighs> anyway, matter. The bad guys, the bad guys get killed by a malfunction of the machine. And Hudson Hawk decapitates Alfred with his own knife blades and says, I guess you're not going to be going to that hat convention next fall, which fucking great. They attempt to escape the exploding castle only to be confronted by the evil dog where we get, which is might be the best part of the film where we have set up that bunny, the evil dog responds to the word ball ball. Bruce Willis grabs a tennis ball gun, shouts bunny ball ball and shoots a tennis ball into this, this evil dog that gets rocketed out of the castle. It is hilarious. It is so good. Like (laughs) it's, it's real hard to be upset at a dog or to like, no one wants to see a dog get hurt, but they do a great job of setting up what a dick this dog is and to see it get launched out of the window is fucking hilarious. And we do see that tennis ball gun before, don't we? Yeah, it's when Darwin is practicing tennis. Exactly. So it was. It's all set up. Like it, it, was it comes together. Yeah. It's just yeah. a screwball thing. So ultimately. Yeah. So uh, PETA did not like this. No, movie. probably not. No, but they're dicks anyway. So it's fine. Listen. I'm all about the ethical treatment of animals. I just think PETA are mostly dicks. But the castle is collapsing from all the explosions. So Anna and Hawk escape on one of Da Vinci's ornithopters. It's like an ancient glider made of, let's say, balsa wood and paper, as we said before. Uh, They glide down to a local village where, surprise, surprise, they meet up with Tommy Five-Tone, who is not, in fact, dead but explains that the high-end car had a fire suppression system that saved his life. So the trio are all together. Everybody, we get a big happy ending and Hudson Hawk finally gets his sip of cappuccino that he throws over his shoulder. End of the movie. I just want to point out the ornithopter scene totally ripped off from the ultralight in Howard the Duck. That's fair. Just saying. I mean, it's, it's almost shot for shot. It is, it is absolutely not shot for shot, but they, <laughs> there is a glider in both scenes. It is silly. So oh, if, you, if, you, if you look closely, you can actually see Tim Robbins in there in a wig uh, standing in for Mini Driver. 
So is the duck in this case Bruce Willis or Anna? Oh, no, it's totally Hudson Quack. Oh, Hudson Quack. Yeah, and there it is. It, they're both birds. That, that checks out. All right, how many beers do you need to enjoy this movie? Chumzilla, we're going to start with you since you're the negative Nancy. Uh, it, it's, it's five mostly pain beers for me. Like I said, there are parts of this movie that work. And in a vacuum, there are definitely scenes in this movie that work. But you put it all together, and it's just a real tough cinematic experience. I don't think we went over this earlier, Captain Cash. What's the runtime on this thing? Running time is uh, 100 minutes. All right. So, I mean, it's just barely an hour and a half long, um, you know, with credits adding on to the back end. Uh, Yeah. Again, that's why I give it the five uh, mostly pain beers, because it feels longer than that. So you'll have to drink like it's a longer movie. Um, if you're not a big fan of this style of comedy, it's a tough, tough viewing. Five beers in an hour and a half. Uh, no, done. I'll start right now. All right. Thunder uh, yeah, no, not that many. Uh, I do think you're either going to think this movie's really endearing and charming and funny, like Captain Cash myself, or you're going to hate it. I don't think there's a lot of middle ground. So I'll say three beers, but for me, those are enjoyment beers. Whereas for somebody else, they may be pain beers, but enjoyment all the way for me. I get it. I, I was pretty pleased how well I, I thought it held up because I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I went into this prepared that this was going to be another legend where this was a movie I loved as a kid. We're going to watch it again. And oh, man, it's going to be great. Oh, shit. As a kid, I was a fucking idiot. But no, 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 this this movie is still really enjoyable. It's a screwball comedy. So, you know, it, it's basic comedy rules, right? Two drink minimum. But I'd say probably three to four beers, depending on your mileage. You just kind of you got to dumb yourself down and let like this movie literally has a joke every second or even every half a second. There's so many jokes, whether it's visual gags or offhanded things, that 30% of them actually land for you. But as long as they get 30%, you kind of get a chuckle every three seconds. So how bad could that be? Yeah, and don't do yourself a disservice and take the movie too seriously at any point. Because I will freely admit, I was trying to make sense of this movie for the first half. And I was extremely frustrated with that. Once I just gave up on it, all of a sudden it started to be less frustrating and like, okay, I can go with the flow here. Truth. Is there anything you guys think that would have fixed it? What would you change about it? Cause to be honest, I don't know that I, I have that. This is, it's a real specific movie that I don't think I can change and go, ah, oh, this would have made it better. Well, tightening up the narrative, even though it is a, you know, satirical film, like it just is taking twists and turns it. Ultimately, they're probably not supposed to make sense, but it gets a little annoying. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, second act, there are so many like shifts that it it's it's confusing. Though I, I do think it's deliberate, so yeah, yeah, kind of a hard call. Yeah, two points I'll make. One, I think the movie tried to spoof the twists and turns, but it didn't put enough of a bow on that joke. Yeah, fair. Because it's not easy enough to understand how silly it is. It's kind of like, it's almost like it's meta. It's like, no, it just is stupid. 
<laughs> there is no punchline. It's just stupid. Good luck figuring it out. But I don't think that was the intent. That might be the movie's biggest failing. I think that was meant to be a joke, but it didn't land, obviously. So to the Thunderous Wizard's point, yeah, either simplify the plot or make it more clear where those jokes are supposed to be about the turns in the second half. And to that, I would say you've got to tighten up the narrative just in general. I don't care how goofy you want to get. I don't care how absurd you want to get with the actual plot points, but you still have to have a a three-act arc that is easy to follow and understand. That has to be there. I don't care how you get there. You must have that, and it must be clear to the audience, and you need to raise the stakes. And that's the other thing this movie doesn't do, and that's one of my big pet peeves. This movie felt pretty level all the way through. The stakes were at the same level the entire time. It was all about Bruce Willis trying not to go back to jail or die. Act one, they're in New York. Act two, they're in Italy. Act three, they're at Da Vinci Castle. Understood, understood. Right there. But but those are settings. The the plot is a freaking mess throughout all that. Acts are almost always around settings. Look at Star Wars. Star Wars is Sand Planet, Falcon Interior, or Death Star Interior. Final episode at or Act Three at the Death, Death Star. Star. That's it. But either way, I can't unsee it anymore in in the movies that I watch. There's always Act One, Two, and Three. Black Panther. Oh, that- Act One is in Africa. Act Two is in Europe. Act Three is in Wakanda. Well, yeah, but, but, but End Game. Act this, one in America, act two is in the past, act three is the final showdown. It's, it's no, everywhere. The, 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 uh-huh, and that's 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 a pretty conventional storytelling trope. My point is, this movie does that with the settings, but the plot doesn't connect them. They, they need to make that work better. You can call it tightening it up. Um, or more connective tissue. I give you or, that. That's fair. And you can make a big, again, it's not necessarily related to the fact the twists and turns are fine, but I agree with you. I think they were supposed to be satire <laughs> and that wasn't clear enough either. So you can do both, but you, you've just got to make, you got to make the story move better between those uh, locations. And, and, and that's where my pet peeve about raising the stakes comes into play. If you, bump the stakes up as you go it makes it more clear to the audience to to the listener to to whoever that the story is progressing because we're getting closer to that that final act that final confrontation you get to uh the destroyed avengers compound you get to the death star trench run you get to yeah ah, this is where we're supposed to be you get to the end of this movie you're like and we're in this room and shit blows up cool uh, and Hudson Hawk still just needs to get out alive. I still feel like there's a we're gonna do a, a classic vaudeville rat pack song and we're gonna blow up a castle is pretty good. But we're gonna take a quick break uh and hear from our brothers in beer from the Hop Nation. And when we come back, we're gonna talk is this the worst pet project film? And we're going to do the side-by-side trivia challenge. So stick with us, listener. Hey, everyone. This is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. 
Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. All right, welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. We are talking Hudson Hawk. Uh, the big question, is this the worst pet project film? Keep in mind, it goes up against things like The Gangs of New York, The Postman, Freddy Got Fingered, The Passion of the Christ, and most crucially, and on this pod, Battlefield Earth. I mean, yeah, not even close. Because uh, obviously I like this movie, but Battlefield Earth was nearly unwatchable. So <laughs> it's clearly yeah. that. And I've never seen it, but I understand that Freddy Got Fingered is uh, pretty terrible. Freddy Got Fingered is one of those things where it's sort of like this movie where it feels like it's a vibe. And if you catch the vibe, it works. And if yeah. you don't, flat on its face. Daddy, would you like some sausage? <laughs> you, you, you know, you go back to like like six, seven years ago when Vine was still a thing. I feel like Freddy Got Fingered is the kind of movie that like a Vine star would create with just a series of like different short video clips of absurdist humor. What was Tom Green but that? Tom Green was a Vine star 10 yeah. years too early. Exactly. And I think that they tried to do more with it and, and, and it obviously didn't succeed. Um, I, I think it has a small cult following. Uh, but I... I, that, I but. <laughs> Right. No, but I think it's pretty bad. So Freddie got fingered. Battlefield are all worse. The Passion to Christ. I mean, it's self-indulgent, but that's not that bad. Gangs in New York. I mean, come on. That's Jesus, Jesus is a QAnon or Jim Caviezel. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> let's, let's not talk about that. Hey, and the, yes. you know, and the, po the Postman was okay-ish, sort of, for mm. Kevin Costner. That's a, a Kevin Costner written, a Kevin Costner directed, and a Kevin Costner starred in film. Yeah, let's face it. This this isn't like Unforgiven or Bradley Cooper's A Star Is Born uh, yeah. or Braveheart or something like that. But it's certainly not the bottom of the barrel passion project. Yeah, I again. Well, I, I I'd like to point out fun. this is not an epic either. Like I think there's a a big distinction to be made about movies like you just described there, Thunder's Wizard well, and things like The Postman. Well, Super Bad, for example, was a passion project. And but my my, my point is this is red. No, it's not, but it's a small movie. It wasn't meant to be a big, massive thing. Like some of those movies you mentioned, Battlefield Earth, that was meant to be a big deal. Passion yeah, of the Christ, big deal. Gangs of New York, big deal. Postman, big deal. Freddy Got Fingered, not a big deal. You know, it cost $97 million, $1991. Yeah, this movie's expensive. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 but it wasn't meant to be like an epic. I guess that's that wasn't that's the scope. That's fair. But it was how, meant how, to be uh, a hit. It was a yeah, hit, a big hit been. starring yeah, yeah. a big movie star who had been bankable. And he's like, oh, let's do something totally off the wall. And they're like, no, we're not seeing that. So let me ask this question, because this comes up a lot on the pods. We talk about the budgets of these films. And we talk about the box office totals. But not often do we talk about the, the takes of the stars, the salaries. Now, that information's typically much harder to come by, especially a movie's bomb. What do you think Bruce Willis's take was on Hudson Hawk? I don't know. Well, this is one of those movies where I think if, 
if Bruce Willis just broke even, right? He got to hang out with his buddies and he, he just treated it as vacation, right? For sure. For the 90 to 100 or whatever day shooting was. Yeah, well, we said the budget was like what, 96 million? Yeah. 97. He 97. Was paid what, 12 for Die Hard 2? I'd say it's like 15 to 17 million dollars for this movie. So, so he's taking a big chunk of that. And you know, he's probably trying to make sure his buddies. Oh, are shit. No, too. I, I apologize. I've been wrong. The total take was 97 million. The cost was sixty-five million. Oh shit! Okay. Yeah, I'm still off. a still a very expensive nineteen ninety-one film. Yeah, that, yeah for ninety-one. Film. Yeah, but yeah, Bruce Willis has taken probably ten percent, uh, twenty percent of that. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, that feels like wild speculation. I bet you at least 13, fifteen. At least 15. 13, 13 mil would be twenty percent. Yeah. Again, I, I I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying that. This wasn't a big budget film outside of it got Bruce Willis paid. That's what I'm trying to say. And his buddies. So I wouldn't put up there at the rest of them. It's, it's not a total bomb in that. It's not like it was a huge stain on his career. It was just, it was just a flop. Yeah. Like, well, and I don't think most people understand that Bruce Willis was good buddies with Danny Aiello and good buddies with the guy that wrote it. I don't think that's like a huge like you know fact like, oh, this is Bruce Willis and his buddies movies. That's kind of a thing that came out after the fact because this is before the internet. Uh, yeah. twelve million for this movie. That's what he got paid. All right, there you go. Huh. And it hurt him financially for his next film. He his contract was renegotiated from thirteen million to nine million because this movie tanked so hard. Jeez, what was the next movie? This is Three Rivers. I don't even know if he ended up oh. starring in that, but oh, Three Rivers. That's that's my recommendation. Never mind. Because <laughs> they, they changed they changed the title. Hard turn. Yeah, All they right. changed the title. <laughs> Okay, so what the the Heinz Field? Yeah, that's what it's, I was thinking. Yeah, too. it's based in Pittsburgh. The movie. All right, let let's get into the side by side trivia challenge. Standard trivia, five questions. The chime in can be any of the standard chime ins, but we'll also accept Bunny Ball Ball. And the winner will be playing for all four earrings in Bruce Willis's right ear that were in this film. One of his Jesus. two, de- three defining characteristics: his hat, the his cappuccino. <laughs> oh wait, and hat his and earrings. Coat. Yeah, cappuccino. Hey, I'm earring. sorry. I am so sorry. I said the most '90s thing in this movie was Sandra Bernhard. I take that back. It was the gay bashing of Bruce Willis for drinking cappuccino in like the first ten minutes of the movie. That was the most '90s part of it. There's a lot of homophobia in this movie. There's a lot of homophobia in the 90s. Again, yeah. lawless yeah, no, very, time. Yeah, lawless Not, not accusing it. Not accusing it. Just, no, just stating the facts. Was. Yeah. yeah. All right. So number one, true or false, the times that Hudson Hawk and Tommy Fietone's site were painstakingly researched and added to the ballooning production cost to the tone of $4 million. Bunny ball ball. There it is. All right. Thunderous wizard. Uh, True. No, absolutely false. So do I win a point for not answering? No, you don't. It was just going to be a buy. It's a true or false. It's one or the other. Yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. It's complete bullshit. Every one of the the songs there where they say song X number of minutes, X number of seconds is mostly made up. There are about three examples where it gets close, but 
at one point they go, Whitney Houston sang the Star Spangled Banner during Super Bowl. I don't remember what. Yeah. Super, but Whitney Houston did not sing the Star Spangled Banner during that Super Bowl. And if she did, she didn't take seven fucking minutes to sing it. Uh, the one she sang in the Bills Giants Super Bowl was notoriously long. It was long. Yeah. It was and not, not very seven good. minutes long. No, it was supposed to be like amazing. It's like she she like knocked it out of the park. Oh yeah, no. Again, yep, definitely. I'm not a fan. Anyway, moving on. All right. Number two. Robert Kraft and Bruce Willis met and became friends when Bruno attended a concert of Kraft's and got noticed in the crowd. What did Bruce do to merit the attention? A. He heckled Kraft. B. He actually beat up the guy that was heckling Kraft. C. He brought a harmonica and played along with the band. Or D. He smoked grass next to the stage and offered Kraft a hit, which Kraft gratefully accepted. Honey, ball, ball. Over to Chumpzilla. He played the harmonica. That is exactly correct. This motherfucker brought a harmonica to a concert and just jammed along in like the third row. And apparently Kraft said, that guy's either got to get the fuck out or he's got to get up on stage and play with us. And Bruce or give me a ride to the dirty massage parlor. Either, either or. Either Wait, or. No, di- different Robert Kraft. Different Robert yeah, Kraft. Kraft. Never mind. But apparently Bruce Willis got up on stage and just harmonica did out and then they became fast friends. And here's where we're at. All right. So that's one to Chumzilla zero to the thunderous wizard. Number three, still anybody's game. Number three, the model horse in the film was designed after one famously created by Leonardo da Vinci, but it did not survive to 1991. What happened to it? Was it A, Mm. destroyed in the Great Fire of London? Was it B, misplaced and never found, and in fact is only described in an 1842 court document from Milan? Was it C, used for target practice by the French? Or was it D, destroyed during Napoleon's first revolution where they burnt the museums? Turts and farts. Give it to Chumpzilla. Lost and never found. Only described in court documents. That is incorrect. Damn. Thunderous Wizard, can you steal? I'm going with C, used as target practice. That is correct. It was, in fact, used as target practice by the French army. In, wow. uh, in the late 1400s, it was like almost 1500. So assuming less target, more archery practice, less, less muskets, more arrows. Cannons. Yeah, or, or that, honestly. They, the Wikipedia article did not describe it. Not fair. All right. We are one-to-one. Chumpzilla versus the Thunderous Wizard. Number four. What other film does Bruce Willis's character make note of reindeer goat cheese pizza? Is mm. it A, Die Hard 2, Die Harder? Is it B, The Last Boy Scout? Is it C, 12 Monkeys? Or is it D, Pulp Fiction? Starts and farts. Over to Chumpzilla. I think it's The Last Boy Scout. It is The Last Boy Scout which was also filmed in 91. So I'm going to guess Bruce Willis had like reindeer goat cheese pizza or saw it on a menu somewhere or misread it on a menu somewhere and went, hey, that's a thing I'll make fun of. Yeah, uh, Sure. Throwing that in my movies. Yep. That's a, it's a joke. Yeah, why not? Reindeer is not a goat. 
So I guess it's reindeer and goat cheese pizza. Yeah. Well, your rain, reindeer meat. Yeah. Oh, I had not that. Yeah, reindeer is a goat is a, is a game a gamey uh, meat like deer. It's like venison. Yeah. 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 You yeah, haven't sure. had a reindeer flavored pizza until you've had the hell deer pizza from Santa's sleigh. Now that that's is a some great chewy. Point. I bet that's chewy. Oh, oh, oh. All right. Final question. Wherein either Chumpzilla is going to run away with it and get those sweet, sweet five earrings that adorned oh, yeah. Bruce Willis's right ear in 1991, or the Thunderous Wizard is going to spoil it out, and you guys are going to have to split them oh, two damn. to three. The Hawk, where Eddie Hawkins gets his name, describes a powerful gust of wind that blows off of which of these great lakes? Is it A, Lake Michigan? Is it B, Lake Superior? Is it C, Lake Huron, or is it D, Lake Erie? Tarts and farts. Jumpzilla. I believe that would blow off Erie. That is incorrect. Oh, my. All right. Thunderous Mm. Wizard, it is to you. Realizing that you can either Mm. spoil or you lose, your options remain. Lake Michigan, Lake Superior, or Lake Huron, what is the hawk named for? Oh, boy. Uh, honey, ball ball. Lake All Superior. Right. Incorrect. Hey. It is Lake Michigan. That's what I thought. <clears throat> the only lake that blows off of Chicago. Oh! I thought it was the Hudson River. Oh, no. that That is correct. The Hudson Hawk comes from the fact that Robert Kraft in walking in New York felt the wind blow from the Hudson River and he realized mm. wind blow in Chicago off of Lake Michigan was called the Hawk and so dubbed Hudson Hawk and wrote a song about it. Son of a okay. gun. Now I have one question about the state of the earrings or the condition. Are, are they sterilized? I mean naturally these will be somewhat sterilized we'll, we'll run it through some hand sanitizer that that works I, i'm just looking forward to getting my ears pierced for the first time and maybe a couple of other unmentionable places who knows but hey i'm happy to have the win and thank you for the prize you get that sternum piercing oh maybe the lower back yeah taint whatever either anyway way. all right we're on to recommendations for this week thunderous wizard give it to us what are you recommending so Three Rivers is actually the movie Striking Distance, which is based in Pittsburgh, there Pennsylvania. It is. Yeah. And a lot of it was shot there, not the reshoots. It is such cliche riddled dreck. It is so bad. I watched it again last night. Uh, and there is an icy light truck, which is cool. That's that Nothing screams Pittsburgh like getting a bunch of icy lights dumped on a road during a car chase. So it's so bad. It is so bad. It's all it's so bad that it's funny how bad it is. And so you should really watch it. Who else is in striking distance? Like, I mean, I know it's Bruce Willis, but there was uh, another like young guy at the time. Like it, like my brain goes, Josh Harnett. Tom Sizemore is in it. Um, no. uh, uh Brian James from Tango and Cash, not doing Cockney accent, Dennis Farina, Sarah Jessica Parker, Justin Long. Uh, Andre Brower makes an appearance as a cop, believe it or not. No way. <laughs> uh, who else was in it? 
Yeah, it's really bad. It's really, really bad. Very oh, not man. good. Understood. Yeah. All right. Tell me, Silla, what's your recommendation? Okay, so I found Hudson Hawk on Pluto TV. So I'm going to recommend another movie I found on Pluto TV uh, that I did not realize existed up until this point. And it's somewhat similar. It's kind of a weird... It's not a passion project per se, but it's it's very much an actor-driven type deal. It's called Find Me Guilty. It's a 2006 movie starring Vin Diesel as Jackie DeNorsay, a uh, New Jersey mob guy, think Sopranos. Uh, it's a true story or an adaptation of a true story. Uh, uh, he and a bunch of other mob guys got brought up on RICO charges and it turned into a two-year court battle that ended up being the longest criminal case in U.S. history. And he he does a really good job of playing this like lovable but schmucky gangster. Like he's not really redeemable. It's one of those movies where like he's funny, but he's not a good guy. And Diesel really shows off his like dramatic and comedic chops. It's a small movie. It's an independent uh, production. Uh, the biggest co-star in it's basically Peter Dinklage as one of the defense attorneys. The Dingles. And, yeah. Uh, and it's directed by Sidney Lamette, which you might recognize because he's also the guy that did uh, 12 Angry Men and Network. So, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting movie. It, it, it feels like, uh, I, I guess you could say it kind of feels like uh, Goodfellas, but not as good. But yeah, it's interesting. You can get you for free on Pluto TV with Vinny D in a terrible, terrible hairpiece. I have seen that wig and it is frightening. I shared some photos ahead of the pod. But you know what? It's an entertaining movie. The big snog I can give it is that it's like two and a half hours long. And that's way longer than it needs to be. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's not two and a half. It's 125 minutes. Look, it if, shouldn't be that long. If the movie doesn't involve the fellowship and throwing a ring into mortar, I'm not interested in anything over two hours. That's just how it yeah. is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's right there at two hours. But anyway, you know what? Hey, if you got some time to kill and you want some solid Vin Diesel action, comedy action, check it out on Pluto TV. Time to kill in this economy? I don't know about that. My recommendation this week is going to be The Green Knight which is a really, really weird David Lowry film starring Dev Patel. Um, it is Arthurian legend. I think you can rent it now. It was only in theaters, but now you can, I think, rent it on almost anything. Um, it's, it's weird. More than anything else, it is a weird mood piece that is uncomfortable in parts, but the more I think about it and dissect it and... You know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with other folks who have seen it. It's it's funky and it's fun to talk about. I, I can't I can't say more than that, but I will say if fantasy isn't your thing, or if you're not prepared for like a, this isn't going to give you the answers. It's just going to be weird for about two hours. Don't watch it. But if you're open to like, you know, hey, let let's get a little weird. Check it out. All right, that's all for this edition of Hops and Box Office Flops. Thanks to New Belgium for making this delicious Voodoo Ranger Atomic Pumpkin. And thank you for listening. Next up, we have Last Man Standing, the Ojimbo remake, and the last of our Hops and Bruno Flops. 
Let us know what you think of the pod. Leave us a review on iTunes. And please remember to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thunderous Wizard, if the folks wanted to reach out and touch you, where can you be found? Uh, when I'm not being shipped in a package full of peanuts uh, to Italy, I'm on Twitter at WriterTLK. That tracks. And Chumpzilla, if folks wanted to swing on a star with you, where might you be? You can find me looking for a mint on card Secret Wars Iceman on Twitter at Chumpzilla8. That's not a hyperbole. Please help Chumpzilla find that mint on card Iceman. It's, Please. It, it's basically his white whale and it'll get him to shut up about it and it'll be a big deal for all of us. As always, I can be found at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social media. And please remember, you could be better than you are. You could be swinging on a star. <laughs>